Well, this morning we're going to jump into just a short series, uh, and we've been in Colossians, and we'll keep going back and forth into Colossians as well this summer, Um, but I just got back from some vacation time, and some of the things that were on my mind going into this Sunday, the concept of work and rest cycles, work and rest cycles, and what is it, uh, what do we need to know about work in the Christian tradition that I think can inform us in our culture and in our time today? I should like to say this, that um, I like to work. Uh, I I like to get engrossed in different projects, and whether it's paid work or unpaid work, the the Bible has this robust theology of work. And so today we just want to kind of lay a foundation about the work side of it, and then next Sunday we want to get into the idea of rest, uh, or what Scripture uses a a term called Sabbath, uh, and sort of Sabbath practices. And so today is work, and next Sunday we'll talk more about rest. So again, like I said, the Bible has this robust theology about work and rest or play. Um, They're connected. And uh, I want to make a case today that there is something that flows out of God's nature that we are to engage with in terms of work. In the video we just watched, we see God working to initiate this creation through his voice. Um, I like how Ben Witherington puts this about work. He says, work and play are both formed by worship of God. In play, which is a part of Sabbath and rest, we celebrate in advance joy and excitement about what God is doing. And now in this time of work as well, we understand that work and play work together. And uh, and there's an old saying that says this, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I don't know if any of you have heard that saying. Have you ever heard that saying before? All work and play makes Jack a dull boy. Okay. Uh, interesting saying. It's, it's one of those things you hear every once in a while. So this morning, we want to wrestle with this idea, again, of God has created work and labor, and that it's a good thing, or supposed to be a good thing. And like all good things, if God is not at the center of your heart, work can become an idol and can become destructive. I want to set the stage a little more by reading you a story about maybe work gone a little off. Uh, and this is, uh, well, hopefully you'll recognize it as I'm reading it, where this comes from. It starts this way, the ghost, on hearing him, sent up another cry. The ghost clanked its chain so hideously in the dead silence of the night that the neighborhood would have been justified in indicting it for a nuisance offense. Oh, captive bound and double ironed, cried the phantom ghost, not to know that ages of incessant labor by immortal creatures, for this earth must pass into eternity before the good of which it is susceptible susceptible is all developed. Not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in this little sphere Whatever it may be will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. This is a little old English, so hang on. Not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunities misused. Yet such a man was I. Oh, such was I. But you were always a kind man, of a good man of business, Jacob, faltered Scrooge who now began to apply this to himself. Business, cried the ghost, wringing his hands. Mankind or humankind was my business. 
The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the, in the comprehensive ocean of my business. The ghost held up its chain at arm's length. As if that were the cause of all its unveiling grief and flung it along the ground again. At this time of the rolling year, the ghost, the specter said, I must suffer most at Christmas. Why did I walk through crowds of my fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them so that the blessed star which led the wise men to the poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light could conduct me? Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the specter going on at this rate and began to quake exceedingly. Hear me, cried the ghost. My time is nearly gone. I will, said Scrooge. But don't be hard on me. Don't be flowery, Jacob, I pray. How is it that I appear before you in a shape that you can see? I may not tell. But I have sat invisible beside you many, many a day. It was not a good, agreeable idea to Scrooge. Scrooge shivered and wiped the perspiration from his brow. That is no light part of my penance, pursued the ghost. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and a hope of escaping my fate. A chance and a hope of my procuring Ebenezer Scrooge. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our midst at Pilgrim. And that you are awakening some of us to the realities beyond the givens of this world that our identity is in our pleasure, our core identity is in our work, it's in our bodies, it's in our education, it's in our bank accounts. You tell us that those things can be goods, but if they're out of order, they become idolatry. They become things that claim all of us and then actually leave us empty in the end and lie to us. And so as we look at the goodness of work this morning and rest in this short mini-series, I pray that you would do what only you can do in this house and in our hearts. For I am but a saint and sinner in process, a fool for Christ. And as John Wimber said, everybody's somebody's fool. Whose fool are you? May we all become fools for Christ, the one who brings it all into order. So do that work today, Holy Spirit, in this teaching time, in Jesus' name. And if you're willing to, would you say amen? Amen. The first thing I want to say this morning in terms of work, okay, the production team is telling me I keep wandering off. The thing is when people are in the room, which is a great and wonderful thing, I just want to come closer to you, but it's COVID, right? Not, not under two meters closer, but closer, right? I keep moving around. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning is that work is commanded by God. Work is commanded by God. If you want to repeat this so you can stay with me and stay focused, say it with me. Work is commanded by God. Would you? All right. It is. This is what we see in Scripture. As we heard in the video, Genesis 2.15, God took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and maintain it. Cultivation, immediately he's giving a task. Even in Eden, at this pre-fall story, man is given and woman a task to care for and cultivate and maintain the garden in order that they might eat from the garden that is given as a gift. 
I find it interesting that at the very beginning, God wants us to be co-workers with him. He wants us to work together in creation even before the fall. There are some that say, well, there's nothing we can add. There's nothing we can do. Yes, God's grace, of course, we receive it as an awakening gift, but yet we are also called to work with that grace that's given. We are given a gift to do something with it. So God created Genesis 1, 27 through 28, 29. We've talked about this again. He tells the man and the woman in the garden, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, rule over the fish of the sea. And this is more of a stewardship concept, not a heavy-handedness. And the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground, even today our environmental concerns flow out of this Genesis 1 mandate that we are called to work and care for creation. One of the many works that God says is good and has blessed. And then he said, last verse, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the entire earth and every tree that has fruit with seed, they will be yours for food. In the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, in Hebrew Bible, where we were reading from with Genesis, in Exodus 35, verse 2, it says this, In six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there must be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. We'll talk more about what Sabbath means. It's a unique kind of rest. It's not necessarily all passive. Certainly part of it is. And anyone who does work on that day will be put to death under the old covenant. Now, how often did they actually practice that actual command? But the language is pretty stark there. Leviticus restates this. Six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy assembly, and you must not do any work. You see there again, it's that rest is not completely passive. Again, next Sunday we'll get into that a little more. Complete rest and a holy assembly. During COVID time, our challenges, Barna released a survey saying up to one-third of practicing Christians are not coming back to church. And I would say, how practicing were we? Well, anyway, that's, a, that's another topic. I'll, I'll save that thunder for another day. But a complete rest, Leviticus 23, verse 3, you must not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all places where you live. So you see these cycles built in to the very teachings of Judaism and Christianity, this idea of engagement during most of a week, and this pattern, this seven-day pattern that still is riven throughout our culture. The French Revolution, as you've heard, it tried to overthrow that seven-day pattern, and, we, and it didn't work in all of the enlightenment and sort of the proto-pop uh, atheism of that era. There's something about these cycles and patterns that give us life and renew us if we are awakened and aware of them and practice them at some level. Again, this sixth pattern day or five days, you can work at least six days, but at the seventh day, there needs to be a pause. Let me talk a little more about work being commanded by God. Are you, you awake this morning? It's warm in here. I'm warm. I, I, you know, there's a few flies buzzing around. I don't know if they're buzzing around at home or you can see them. But we're definitely entering into summer a little bit here in Vancouver. By the way, when I was on vacation, we, we ended up in Whitehorse. That was the final destination. We did a road trip, and that was the end point. Thank you, Jesus, for Vancouver. Oh. I'm sorry if there's anyone listening to us in Whitehorse. I doubt that very much. But <laughs> thank you, Jesus, that we just have buzzing flies and not mosquitoes. Oh, Lord, I don't know if they have mosquitoes are part of the fall, but their biting certainly is. Thank you, Jesus, for Vancouver. Okay. And all of God's people said? Amen. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, our Canadian experience has mainly been in Toronto and Vancouver, or Toronto if you're in Toronto, uh, and Vancouver. And uh, it's interesting when you go into other parts of Canada when that's been your main experience. Again, a story for afterwards at a picnic someday. Um, so sloth. Let's talk about this idea of slothfulness. 
So the Bible talks about the goodness of work, and it also talks about the opposite, the challenge of, of, of sloth, or what we might refer to as sort of a laziness that can happen. In the medieval church, this idea of seven deadly sins came up, and as Protestant evangelicals of the good kind, we don't necessarily think of seven deadly sins, but in that list, sloth was one of them, or sort of this, this lethargy, this laziness. In the Proverbs in the Old Testament, there's many words about sloth that says, the diligent person will rule, but the slothful will remain a slave, Proverbs 12, 24. In our church, we have this saying in many churches, it says this, those who show up rule the world. Those who show up rule the world, right? Proverbs 19, 15 says this, laziness brings on a deep sleep. And today I think we would tie some of this perhaps with mental health issues, but some of it is not. Some of it is an actual choice of the will, and even mental health issues, we have a choice when we are tired and want to bring about a new change in our life. But he says this laziness will bring on a deep sleep. The idle person will go hungry. Ecclesiastes 10.18, these are wisdom sayings in the Old Testament. Because of laziness, the roof caves in, and because of idle hands, the house leaks. Uh, you, get the, you get the theme here. There's a few more I could read here. Proverbs 12.27, the lazy person does not roast his prey, but personal possessions are Precious to the diligent, things you work for, you value. Proverbs 18, 9, a little more. One who is slack in his work is a brother to the one who destroys. One who is slack in his work is a brother to one who destroys. And I read these verses, and part of me comes from uh, a, a cultural background where we are workaholics, and so I have to be careful that I don't sit there and not finish this series when I read these, by the way. Proverbs 21, 25, what the sluggard desires will kill him, for his hands refuse to work. Ecclesiastes 4, 5, the fool folds his hands and does no work. He has nothing to eat but his own flesh. Oh, that's, that's kind of disgusting, right? So here we see these passages about work and engagement, that God blesses work. So here in COVID, we're wrestling with this, where some of us, are jobs we've lost, some of us have experienced work reductions, and I think there's something that we note, that how it affects our mental state. And we tend to have, as J. Chesterton, Chesterton says, we tend to have sort of that, that arrogant prejudice that our thinking in this era is the best thinking of all time, of all humanity. That's the prejudice of the living versus the dead. And yet, we can learn from the dead. In fact, Scripture is part of that as well, the great tradition we learn. And many of the things we're learning as well is that when we don't have work, it does something to our mental health. And here it is, thousands of years earlier, being declared in wisdom proverbs, this idea of the importance of doing, not simply being. Now, let me pause a second, because if any of you have been in the church for any amount of time, we have reams and reams of stuff about just being. We need to learn to be, which is absolutely true. But we're also to do. In fact, they're woven together. And our doing can actually shape our being, what we do, what we repeat, what we push through and work through, whether it's our physical vocation, whether it's work we do on ourselves or in worship or in gathering, whatever it is where we acquires exertion on our part actually shapes our being as well. So sometimes it's a little misnomer to always tear apart doing and being. The pop psych gurus would say things like this, you're not a human doing, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. Yeah, but also what you do shapes your being. It forms you. It creates you. It's like the wheel, the clay on the potter's wheel is being worked by the potter. Something is being formed in us when we do. Let me say a little more about work here before we land this plane. In Hebrews 
chapter 5, Paul is talking about this idea of where work, rest, and play all come together in what the church does in worship and what we do when we gather, that there's a certain type of work and rest woven together. And he says this to them in Hebrews chapter 5 about the work of uh, community. On this topic, we have much to say, and it's difficult to explain since you've become sluggish in hearing. Sluggish in hearing. There's an enemy that wants you to be sluggish in hearing uh, countercultural narratives to what we hear out in the world around us. There is something that wants to dull your senses, that wants to keep you from Scripture and community and the Holy Spirit in the gathering of the beloved. And, and he says, you've become sluggish. And he's speaking to these folks who have Christian uh, background. And he says, for though you should, in fact, be all be teachers by this time, you need someone to teach you the beginning basic elements of God's sayings. You have gone back to needing milk and not solid food. And he's, he's kind of castigating. I mean, he's, he's really going at him here. In verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message of righteousness, which is how to live in right relationship with God, yourself, and others, because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature whose perceptions are trained by practice to discern both good and evil. Part of what we do in community of the local church is learning to discern together what is good versus simply going with the flow of life. Dead fish can only float downstream, right? Like there's something about learning to practice. How do you fight against or how do you move against the water to get into a different harbor or a different bay? As we were on our trips, we saw tons of water driving through the coastal area of Canada, sinking of bays and all the water features. And he says this idea that there's something about training and practicing that helps us to hear better, to discern better, and to live a better life. Now, of course, there's many things that we could say else about work. And I'm speaking about work in sort of this generic, sort of broad base. The nature of how are you wired? What is the sense of call? We have this fancy word we also call vocation, like this, this purposefulness in what we do and, and that forms us and shapes us in our being as well. So, but I want to just spend a little more time on this larger issue of just work in general. The second big thing this morning, the first one that I want you to understand again, is that God has created work and work is a good thing. Amen? Work is good. The second thing this morning is that work is designed to be fulfilling. Not totally fulfilling, but fulfilling. It doesn't replace family, friends, spiritual life, community, and all of those things, but work is designed to be fulfilling. Say it with me. Work was designed to be fulfilling. <laughs> Work is one of those things. Of course, our first work is to learn how to love God and love our neighbor, which is a type of work. It requires exertion of energy, the most basic kind of definition of work, where we're exerting ourselves to, to do something. There's different words, again, like calling, the sense of sometimes God calling and speaking to us to do something, to do some work for him. We listen for this calling, and we look for the leading of God as followers of Jesus. And calling can change over time. There's another a word that we hear that relates to work in the Bible and in the New Testament is gifting. Say it with me, gifting. Gifting. The Holy Spirit enabling you to do a specific task. But even with the gifts of God, you still have a choice whether you're going to exert that, that energy to use that gift for good. I always kind of found it funny when people are saying, well, I need to discover my gifts. I need to discover my gifts. And, and, and we want to take gifts inventories and spiritual tests. And I'm not against that. 
But at the end of the day, one of the best ways to discover your gifting is to do the work and exert yourself in many different areas throughout the life of the church and the community. And the things where you sense supernatural energy and joy, even if you're working hard, those might be the places where you discover your gifts. There's some gifts also that you have to risk. Like in the Bible, there's these word gifts. Word gifts that encourage and build up others, Christian and non-Christian, gifts of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Guess what? If you're waiting that for God to zap you with a lightning bolt, that's not how spiritual gifts work. You have to step out in faith. You have to pray, Holy Spirit, fill me and use me. And then as those things, the words come into your heart or your mind, you have to take a risk and humility and saying, I may get this wrong, but I think the Lord may be saying this to you. That's how we begin to operate in those gifts. But you can see in every element, there is a part of your, your synergy, your cooperation with the work of God. And so we want to encourage you to, to, to do that, to learn to work with God, both in vocation, calling, gifts of the Spirit. Now, again, not all jobs, by the way, are your calling in life. Sometimes a job aligns with your calling and who you are, and that's beautiful. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes a job is just a means to get to accomplish the real work and vocation you're called to do in life. And depending on the economy, depending on our social location, depending on where you're at in life, sometimes you're doing a job. Again, do it with joy. Do it as inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it may not be your main work, and that's okay. It's okay to live with that tension. Ideally, if you can do a work that aligns with your skills and your gifts, that's gold, right? That's gold. And we want to work towards that and be a community that encourages people, specifically those of you who are younger and you're trying to figure out what's next in life, wrestling with how, how am I wired? What are the gifts that I have? What are the skills that I can acquire uh, both to make a difference? Now, of course, every job as a Christian we're called to also the job may not be our call, but the people around us may be the call in that job. Sometimes the job isn't the thing, but it's the community that you're called to bless as a believer in that circumstance. I want to back up and say this about work as well. Today I'm not talking about macro or big picture issues of justice in work. We'll get a little bit into that next Sunday with the idea of Sabbath, because Sabbath also tells us something about when work becomes idolatrous and when systems are unjust. Sabbath actually critiques that. God had given the ancient Hebrews a practice, in fact, that cut against the accumulation of, of too much wealth by having jubilee years and resets within the ancient scriptures of the Hebrews. Now, they never really practiced this very well, but it was written there in the law that work is not to become an idol and the accumulation of wealth is not to be the end game. This idea of billionaires that own more than multiple countries within the reset system of Israel, there's this idea that no one could be so indebted that it would enslave them or it permanently put them in that position. But that's a sermon for another day. Work was designed to be fulfilling. Now let's get to the very end here. I'm on page three of my notes and I had five pages. It must be the Holy Spirit just pulling it out of me right? Okay, you can laugh at that. That's okay. I'm not, you know, okay, all right. Fine, fine. Work is both a call and it can also be a calling. I like how one author put it, calling, charism, which is Holy Spirit sort of gifting, gifts in general, vocation, ministry, work are all interrelated things in the new order of God. And so we kind of, they kind of overlap and tie into one another is what he's saying there. Second Timothy says this about gifts in the body of Christ. He says, in a wealthy home, they're not only gold and silver vessels, but also ones made of wood and clay. Some are more honorable, others are ignoble. So if someone cleanses himself of 
destructive behavior, they'll be a vessel for good use, honorable use, set apart, useful to God, and prepared for every good work. The last thing I want to say this morning in terms of introducing this concept of work and what Scripture says is this. Work is a means to a better world, either directly through the labor that you're doing and the gifts that you're using, or, again, through the witness potential in your relationships. Work is a means to a better world, either directly through the labor you're, being, you're offering or through the witness potential with the relationships with others in that work, or in an ideal world, both working together. And so work is a means to a better world. Going back to Genesis, the idea of cultivating the gifts that you've been given, the garden, putting your labor, your effort in, and experiencing the rewards of that is something that is meant to also benefit those around us. Not simply for ourselves, but an outward focus. The great commandment and the great commission order the Christian's primary task in everything we do to love God and love others. And so we want to wrestle with that as well. I do want to say as I bring to this to a close, and we can get into this next Sunday a little bit more too, is that there are some jobs, however, some work that are, that, that are unethical for a believer. Roger Olson, a Baptist theologian, talks about this. He says, being an abortion doctor, a pornographer, perhaps politicians in some cases, perhaps military, depending on the role, gaming, lies, deceit, jobs that involve these things are unethical and problematic for the believer. I don't have time to unpack that, but Gene Veith, on his book on vocation, says this, being a pimp or a pornographer or an abortionist or a Nazi guard are not callings from God, full stop. So I want to pause at this moment before we give you the last little takeouts, okay? Are there any questions in the room this morning? I know there's some questions that have come in, but let's do that as we pause and introduce this short series on work and rest. You guys doing okay? We we awake? All right. Oliver, are you with me? All right. Good deal. Uh, Okay, we have questions on, oh, I saw the first question, here we go. How does Adam's curse fit in with work being fulfilling? Yeah, so ultimately, obviously work is not the highest thing, as we have said in the message, um, that getting our identity in Christ, in God, in God's love is our first thing, not work. The curse, we're told later on in Genesis, this idea that because of the curse, your work could be worse. And this is why I mentioned this idea that not all work is necessarily one's highest calling or or matching together one's calling with one's work. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes we have to do hard, sometimes difficult work in order to have space and resource to do the calling that isn't in that job per se. And so jobs can be, are also influenced by the fall. Just as our thinking is influenced by the fall, we have that sense of, we, we are always wrestling, and, and so the good side of work is that we can cooperate with God's grace and move things forward in creation, but work can also be, that's why there are jobs that are unethical and wrong as well. Um, yeah, there's a lot of elements of that that come to mind, but that's a great question. Is there anything else that we have in the room this morning you want to ask? Okay. Okay, so let's just go here. Let's go with the last things. So what, what are the next steps? Number one, avoid the extremes. Say it with me, avoid the extremes. Seeing work as all of your life or being obsessed or addicted to it. Again, I have sort of on one side of my family a Mennonite family background and, and that kind of thing. And, and work uh, was an obsession. It would oftentimes, even though lip service may be given to Christ, it often would become idolatry and push out other things. Um, so 
next Sunday is super important as we continue to wrestle with work and rest, as we talk about what is the role of Sabbath in making sure work doesn't become an obsession. I think also the extreme to avoid is living to see, simply working to live for the weekend, as it were, to live for the party, simply to accumulate resources, uh, to blow it all on oneself. Now, there's a certain role of that, um, but there's this idea of that we don't, we don't seek to do, have a job that's more fulfilling in our life. We just sort of give up when, in fact, I think we're called to push into things that are more fulfilling if possible. We know that change is not always possible because of economies and national structures, but the church should be a place that is for good labor. The church should be a place that is for um, uh, working values and ethics in society uh, that build people up and also free people to have free time in order to be fully human and fully alive. And the second takeout, I guess, this morning or next step would be our work in our society should have meaningful pauses. And we'll pick up with that idea next week. Let me give you a quote from Ben Witherington here. From a Christian perspective, all persons in Jesus are called to both ministry and discipleship of various sorts, all people. Labor is a part of this calling, some of which you'll receive money for, some of which will not. And Paul in 1 Corinthians' mind talks about this idea, of course. But we need to see work as part of our life of stewardship, just as play and ownership and prayer and sleep and so many other things are part of our stewardship we will begin to be on the right track. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray as we prepare to leave today and dig in a little more this July into work and rest. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you've created good works for us to do. Some of it may line up with our job, some of it may not. And Lord, in this COVID season, we've become aware of how precious it is to have good work. And that while it's great in countries like Canada and the United States and other nations in the world, um, help us when the economy is not functioning as it should, the idea of labor was your idea. The idea of putting our exertion into something physically, mentally, with what we are, was something you desired for us. And we know that it's been influenced by the fall. We know that there's broken aspects of that as well in big systems of economics and sometimes in our own hearts individually uh, where we can become overcome. And so, Lord, we ask today that you would help us to have a value and understand the value of work, that it's not just some Protestant thing. It's not just some, um, you know, uh, thing that was invented in the last 300 years, Lord, but rather goes all the way back to the beginning that there can be joy in our work and purpose in it and that you've created us for that. So I just want to say one more prayer before we worship and leave. For those that are struggling, God, with their sense of their future trajectory, what are they supposed to do? What is the job? What is the skill set? What is the knowledge that they're supposed to build on? I pray that you would give them wisdom, Lord. And you said if anyone lacks wisdom, we can ask and you will give wisdom. So Lord, I pray... That we, would have the, that we would have the wherewithal to ask you, Lord, give us wisdom if, if that's where you're at. Lord, give me wisdom in my, my, my work. Give me wisdom in the job. Give me wisdom in the sense of my purpose. Both that which I can be paid for and maybe I won't be paid for it, but a job that I can tolerate to do the real work that you've called me to do, whatever that is, Lord. God, we pray also for justice 
for systems and governments and for the church to speak out when injustice is being done in the work environment as well. So Lord, we, again, we turn to you and say, Lord, thank you for creating us as beings who also do and help us to embrace that, whatever that looks like in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.